Welcome to Round Rock Church of Christ. We're glad you're listening. If you're in the Austin area, we'd love to have you join us this Sunday at 8.30 or 10 a.m. Or you can check us out and watch online at roundrockchurch.us. May God bless you as you seek Him, and may He use this message to give you exactly what you need. Let me pray before we sit down. Uh, so Lord, uh, as we draw ourselves to your word, as we plant ourselves by the living water, Holy Spirit, we invite you this morning. Can you speak through the words that you've spoken? Lord, can you remove any distractions in the room this morning? May we be attentive to you and your presence and what you want for our lives. We want to live into what you are giving us. We pray this in your son's name and his blood that gives us his life. Amen. NBC at church. So sociologists, these are people who study trends of human society are still trying to make sense of the past five years and what the pandemic has actually done and influenced to us. And one of the trends that I find to be most interesting uh, is the trends that people are tracking right now uh, that affect your home uh, is been recorded in the past five years, over 62 million people in the States have taken part in some form of home renovation. Sociologists actually believe that this is one of the highest amounts of time, three quarters of the U.S., everyone, while they were stuck in their home, changed their home in one way or another. In essence, it was as if when people couldn't spend energy externally out in the world, they started looking around internally and were like, gosh, we got to clean this place up. 62 million people said, we got to slap some pain on that, or we got to knock out that fireplace, which that's never made sense to me, but people say it all the time. And one of my favorite stories that came from it is when people started renovating their homes, they started finding features about their homes that they didn't even know were there. One of my favorite stories was uh, a family who they had actually had a home that was uh, made at the tail end of the 18th century. They had lived in, the, this home had been passed down for generation to generation. And at one point when being stuck at home, one of the kids noticed that there was a panel inside his closet. And one day he got curious enough to do what kids do. He took the panel and he ripped it down. And he found that when he actually went into the closet, he found a secret space. You actually could see the picture here that was right here. This is the space. Oh, this booth did not want me. Oh, you guys, you guys are running the sermon this morning. <laughs> we feel good there? I, I wasn't supposed to preach that point, apparently. Okay, that's the room. Take a view real quickly before it disappears. <laughs> it's hidden. It's real fast. <laughs> This is the room today. It's actually renovated, but they actually found this space. And I think one of my favorite parts of the stories is it was months before the kids even told their parents that the room existed. They called it their secret place of delight. Can I tell you this morning that in God's house, there is a place of secret delight. That is waiting for you. 
And sometimes we just don't engage the practices that even help us find what that delight is. But what if you did? So we've been in a series called Make Yourself at Home, and this series has basically been built off of we feel called as a church that over the next three years, we are going to work on being a place that is spirit-filled and spirit-led for those who do not have a home. And when we start that in August, we found it was important to first start with the question of not what is it like for others to find this place as a home, but how are we doing with the place that you call your church home. And what we've been doing in this series is just asking some questions each week that you can take inventory of if you feel disconnected or if you have felt unsatisfied with this being the place that you call your church home. What if you start taking inventory and asking yourself some questions that may help you feel at home again? In the first week of this series, we talked about how uh, having a church home is having a place, a place where you are called to, that you are being attentive and trained in the power and the presence of the gospel. Last week, we talked about how church home is having people who actually know what the Spirit is doing in your life, and you know what the Spirit is doing in other people's lives. And in a week or two, we're going to talk about purpose. We're going to talk about, do you know what your purpose is when you join in your spiritual home? But today, what we want to talk about is practices. Because a church home is not just a place that's an address. A church home is not just a place where you know people, but it's a place with people where you are practicing the ways of God together. It's where you draw upon something deeper than yourself. And the questions that I have today, I want to root them, and they're not just questions that are just randomly thrown around, but they're actually questions that are rooted within Scripture. And today where I want to root these three questions for you, just to evaluate the practices of God in your life, is in Psalm 1. If you have a Bible with you this morning, I'd encourage you to turn to Psalm 1. If you are new to the Bible or you're exploring faith, I'm going to display some of these words this morning, but it may be important to be able to follow along and see where we're drawing some of these questions. If you're new to the scriptures, the Psalms are just the songs or the poetry that is in the Bible. Okay, These are the top 40 hits of the scriptures. There's 150 of them, and as you roll through them, you will find that there's different portions dedicated to different postures of these poems and songs. Sometimes they're psalms of praise, and sometimes they're psalms of petition. But Psalm 1 is a psalm that is a psalm of path. It's in essence the preliminary song that lets you know how all the other songs are going to happen. It's like the equivalent of when you start a Star Wars movie. It's the beginning words that are just floating in outer space, letting you know what's coming. Not to make you feel old, but my dad was like, you know, the first time we saw that movie, I had to read those words to you, Zane. I had to read those words to you. The Psalm 1 is, is the words coming to us and saying, If we follow these words, life is there. 
Psalm 1 starts with two paths. The first path is saying, this is the way you go off the rails. This is the way you move away from the path that God desires for you. And Psalm 1, 2 is saying, this is how you enter into this path. And there's a good word this morning with Psalm 1, 1. Before you get into anything else with Psalm 1, 1, the first words of it is, blessed is the one who... I could preach this all day long. The first word God wants you to hear over your life is one of blessing. If you do not know God this morning, there is a God, a creator in this universe that desires good, well-being for you. The first word he speaks over your life is not this is what you need to do. He doesn't speak over your life and say this is what you got to clean up. This God speaks blessing over us he wants blessings for us psalm 1 says well this is how you move away from those blessings blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way of that of sinners or sit at the company of mockers but the way of god's life of direction is a practice but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. The first question to evaluate when it comes to your practices in life is just simply this question. Uh, what are the practices of people around you? The psalmist says things start to go off the rail when you are just hanging around people that are standing in the way that you are supposed to go. Who do you get your advice from? Who do you take direction with? Who do you spend the majority of your conversations out with? I like how one uh, translator actually takes this phrase of in step with the wicked. Another way to translate this would be blessed is the one who do, does not hang around those who are not going anywhere. As a psalmist would say, those who sit and they scoff. It's like the psalmist is saying, there's something social that happens with our faith. You know, we've known this. We've known this very early on. We've told, told people in middle school and high school, hey, you got to be careful who you hang around. But then we throw that advice out once we get past 18, because apparently it doesn't stop at that point that there's something actually limiting in our social settings. I want to turn you to the life of Jesus to think about this really fast, because this does need attention with it. Jesus found this to be true. In the very beginning of the Gospels, you find when Jesus is walking around, there is some sort of limitation to being around those who do not have faith or are cultivating faith. At one point, Jesus is invited to heal a little girl in Mark 5, and literally, Jesus is going towards it. I think I've got the text this morning. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he did not let any of them follow except a couple of his believers. He went in and he said to him, why is all this commotion and wailing? This child, the ones who's sick, is not dead, but asleep. And they laughed at him. But he put them all out of the room. He was like, get out, get out, get out. He took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him, and he went where the child was and that's where the healing took place i want you to pay attention to that jesus actually said i gotta get y'all out of here 
I get those who are left. I gotta get you out of here. Earlier in Mark, Jesus literally goes to his hometown. He goes back to the place where people knew him. And Mark actually records that he couldn't do some of the miracles they wanted to do because people were skeptical of him. That he was amazed at their lack of faith. There's the flip side as well. There's a moment in Mark as well where there is a man who is sick. Everyone's sick apparently in the stories of Jesus, but there's a man who is sick and they literally, they go up to the roof and what do they do? They cut the roof open and they bring the man down. And Jesus heals this man, but it's very important the words he says to him. He says, not this man's faith has healed and saved him, but it was their faith, the people who that man was around. In life, there are limitations and invitations for who we are around. And we should just ask ourselves, are we around people who are practicing things that are limiting us in practicing and cultivating our faith? Are we with people who practice regularly things like cynicism and sarcasm and scoffing? Because we've noticed that cynicism and sarcasm, those are often just masks for things like anger, disappointment, insecurity, or despair in life. And there is a progression. If we are around people that just practice that all the time, we will find ourselves moving in that same direction. Maybe a more simpler way of just asking this is, have you taken inventory of what you talk to the people you spend the most time with about? Is it always about other people's lives? Is it about other people's kids? Is it about whatever the latest trips are or whatever the latest financial trends are? Or do you have conversations with people about practicing the ways of God? That's the first question. Is what are the people around us, what do they practice? And what are we practicing? Here's the second question to ask this morning, is do you have practices with God about the things of God? Now, I want you to notice in Psalm 2, there is a practice that is described here. Those who delight in the law of the Lord and who meditate on His law day and night. In essence, those who sit with the Lord and think on the things of the Lord. Now, I want to highlight one piece here. When we hear the phrase, the law of the Lord, there needs to be a little bit of context that I think actually really gets into our normal day to day. So law of the Lord, the people would hear this and they would think not like a like a long list, like you think of like what someone would have. They would think of the Torah. They would think of the first five books of the scriptures. These would be the words that would be handed to the people because they have been saved by God. That this God wants something for them. And they would meditate on the instructions of the Lord day and night. They would meditate on it. But sometimes their motivation would be a little bit different than how we think of what meditating on like the law may be. I, uh, I had two things 
growing up that I really cared to study and meditate. There were a lot of things I had to study. There were only two things I really cared about studying and meditating on. And I had different motivations for the two things. The first thing that I cared deeply about that I meditated on was my driver's ed booklet. Okay. I meditated deeply on that bad boy. Why? I wanted to know every small detail to be able to one day gain freedom, to hop in that truck and drive wherever I wanted to drive. I meditated on all those ridiculous laws. They're great laws, okay? I'm not, I'm not pushing back on the laws. There's just a lot of them. I meditated day and night on that thing. Why? Because I wanted to pass something to gain freedom. That's one motivation, okay? The second thing I was motivated for, some of you are like, man, I don't know where he's going with this. Second is this, uh, we once as a family got a VHS, do you remember VHSs? Do you remember those bad boys? Yeah, it was a VHS that Disney World sent my family saying, you are going on this trip, so therefore you should watch this video. And I watched it day and night, okay? I wanted to know how to live in that magic kingdom. I wanted to know. The motivations were different, though. For the driver's ed book, I wanted to study it to reach a destination. The VHS video, I wanted to meditate on it to know how to live into that destination. What I'm trying to say is this, is that when it comes to meditating, when it comes to taking time in the things of God, we do not do it to pass a test. We do not do it with the motivation of, I gotta do this, so maybe at some point I can have freedom. The motivation is God is offering you a destination and he wants you to live into that place. For those of us who live in the light of Jesus, that we are not just people who have the words of Scripture, but we also have Jesus, who is the living word, who said that I've not come to abolish the law, but to what? Fulfill it. To live it. And then he gives us the gift of the Spirit to speak through the words he has spoken. When we meditate and we sit on the practices of God, when we spend time with His Word, when we pray, when we take time in silence with Him, we're listening to the one who wants something for us, who has spoken something into existence. I guess what I'm trying to say is when we talk about practices, there's always a temptation, especially in some of our backgrounds, to spend time like prayer and reading Scripture in silence to earn God's love or knowing some of us to prove God's love. I am God's person because I do X and Y. When meditating and sitting and practicing on the things of God are not the way to earn God's love. They're the ways of receiving God's love, of living into the love of God, of realizing the love that surrounds us of this God. And that we're to meditate, spend time with in it. When we look at this word meditate, it's extremely rich of like the practice of spending time in the word of God. Meditating, you may think of something like, uh, you know, something that a nun would do, 
uh, or maybe someone that like wears Lululemon and is eating a quinoa bowl. Like that's not the connotation of meditation here. This word would mean to steep in, to slowly chew, to slowly suck on. Meditation wouldn't just mean I see a verse on social media and I take it in and that's what it is. Or I rely on a couple minutes on Sunday morning for a sermon to deliver that. Or it's a passing moment. Meditate meant to draw deeply, reflect and examine your life in a really rich way. Do you remember the, uh, do you remember the Tootsie Pop commercials? I know that was a hard pivot. Do you remember the Tootsie Roll Pop commercials? You remember these bad boys, right? A couple of you do. Some of you are like, I'm so done with this sermon. This, uh, this is the Tootsie Pop commercial where, uh, you know, uh, the boy would go to Mr. Al and what would the question be that he'd ask him? Yeah. Oh, don't, get, don't get shy on that last thing. You got to say it with heart. Yeah. How many lakes does it take to get to the center of the Tootsie Pop? You know, there were people who took that commercial just a little too serious. There was a, uh, there was a group in Purdue, a bunch of engineers who had way too much time on their hands. They converted. They converted a machine that was a licking machine. And they actually tested how many licks that it takes to get to the center of a Tootsie Pop. It's 364, if you were wondering. I know that's why you came to church today. It's 364. I guess I say that because... You know, meditating on God's word, it is like licking a Tootsie Pop over and over again. The goal is not to just accomplish it. The word, the practices of God, you are to steep yourself in them. And I think when we get older, when we start hanging around the things of God more like prayer and silence and scripture, we start to make it methodical. We start to make it mechanical. We start doing things like we read portions of Scripture to be able to accomplish it. When that was never the goal. I remember, I remember when I was studying in, for a master's degree in biblical studies. I remember there was someone I deeply respected that I asked him at one point. I said, what, what's your practice like with the Scriptures and with God? And he said, oh, Zane. Zane, Zane, Zane. I'm at the point in my life now where I know what the Scriptures say. I just talk about them. As if the word of God is just something to study and accomplish. When really the word of God is like a table that's set before us. Not something you accomplish. But the space where God actually starts to accomplish his work in us. When we sit there and we let it happen. In 2009, there was this uh, book that came out that just rocked people's world. It was how God actually changes your brain. And this neuroscientist basically studied multiple religious groups. And he came to the conclusion that those who spend a long time in prayer and silence and scripture reading in the practices of God, he actually found that one of the conclusion was contemplative practices strengthen the neurological circuit that generates peacefulness, social awareness, and compassion. For others. Do you know some people that need some peacefulness, social awareness, and compassion for others? Did you know that there's people who would like you to be a little more peaceful? To be socially aware? 
to be attentive to the ways of God? In other words, what I'm trying to say is there are some practices we never graduate from. We should never graduate from spending time with the Lord, with spending time in His Scriptures, with praying to Him. And we don't do it like other religions, that we do it to empty ourselves. Like, if we empty ourselves as followers of Jesus, it's because we believe that silence isn't empty. It's actually full. It's full of God. And it not just is full of God, but it actually fills us with the very things God meant for us to be sustained by. And at some point in our lives, we need to be filled. Because there are filling times in life and there are draining times in life. In verse 3, the psalm says, the person who meditates day and night, that person's going to be like a tree planted by the streams of water which yield its fruit in season and whose leaves do not wither. Whether whatever they do prospers. But if they don't, verse 4, not so with them. They're like chaff that the wind just blows away. That the people who do not meditate, who do not spend time on the things of God with God, they're like a dry husk of something that at one point bloomed, contributed something to the world, and gave fruit to it. That someone is just tossed around by winds and heats in life. The prophet Jeremiah, he also used the same imagery when he described this. He said, but blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in him. He will be like a tree planted by the water that catch it, sends out his roots deeply by the stream, does not fear when heat comes, leaves are always green, has no worries in the year of drought, and never fails to bear fruit. One of my mentors, when I started studying to be a minister, literally said, you know, the worst time to try to dig a well is when you're already dehydrated and thirsty. There are seasons in life that take all sorts of energy out of us. And one of the invitations of God is to practice the things of God, to build a deep well, to be ready for those seasons in life that are draining to us. The practices like scripture reading and prayer and silence and Sabbath, those are the roots that go deep. That they help us access the water, what Jesus would call the living water. Another way of saying the Holy Spirit, the one who can sustain us and work through us. And this is a massive point. I know it's real popular right now to talk about habits and self-help and you know, look, if you just wake up at 5 a.m. in the morning and you have it stacked, then like your life is set and good to go. There's a major Christian distinction. We're not just doing habits, okay? It's what the world does. Habits are just practices for you to be able to do what you can't do yet. But spiritual practices, those are the work of the Spirit. Spiritual practices help us do the things that we cannot do on our own. It's a way of opening ourselves up to the Holy Spirit. The one who can give us greater dependence on God. 
And if we do regular rhythms of them, we start to open ourselves up to the Spirit of God who longs to transform us and sustain us. In other words, the promise at the very end of the psalm is verse 6, that those who do this, they will know the Lord. You'll know the ways of the righteous and the way of the wicked will perish. You know, when we hear this word know, we tend to think of it as intellectual, historical. You know, I grew up in a tradition where knows as far as like intellectual and historical was highly emphasized. And I'm super grateful for that. Super grateful for that. But when the scriptures talk about knowing the Lord, it's not just historical and intellectual. When the scriptures use the word know, it means all-encompassing. I want to show you like a place in Genesis 4.1. The scriptures use this all over the place. Now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain. Hmm. This type of knowing is intimate. It's personal. It's experiential. The relationship with God is one that you can know God and drink deeply from God. It's one of the reasons that we've said for the vision for the next couple of years. You know, some of you heard me say this. One of the emphasis of the six things that we're going to do is we're going to practice rhythms of opening ourselves up to the Holy Spirit and actually drinking deep from the living waters of life. Because God wants something for us. God has something hidden that we enter into. So if you've fallen off on practices or you feel burned out, I ask, join us in August for this vision. If you're wanting to deepen your practices with God, join us in August for this vision. And finally, I just want to say a word to maybe someone who's here today that's like, I'm burned out on just the practices of God as a whole. If you're in that place this morning, I think there's just one simple thing to start with. Whether you're burned out on it or you've never practiced the things of God before, like scripture or silence, or like really dedicated your time to prayer, I think there's just one thing to say. Simply pray for hunger. Pray for hunger. It is okay to ask God and be honest with God to say, I don't really care. I, I don't have much drive to really want to spend time with it. That's okay. Let's start with a prayer that says, I want to want to spend time with you. Sometimes the first thing that God's people need is they need a hunger and they need a thirst again for the things of God. If it's been a long time since you've practiced those things. I pray that you pray for hunger and thirst. Because there is something waiting for us. Someone waiting for us. I think many of us would say the Holy Spirit is in the house, but he is a stranger to most of us. What if we invited him in and drank deep from those waters? Because in the words of Jesus, go into your closet and pray. Pray to your Father who is unseen. And then your Father, who sees what you've done in secret, will what? Reward you. In other words, He has something 
So, Lord, uh, I know for some of us, we are drinking deeply from water that's available to us. We thank you for that, God. I thank you for the renewal that is happening in people right now. Lord, I thank you for the different ways that you've responded. God, we thank you for that. And God, we also pray for those of us who we feel drained right now, that we feel very dry in our faith and life around you. Lord, can you help give us a hunger and a thirst for you again? Lord, can you bring us back to the place when we first started to explore you or get to know you? Can that well up inside us again? Can you whisper to us this week? Empower us this week to draw near to you and meditate and spend time with you day and night. That's what will be for all of eternity with you. Help us to start now. In Jesus' name.